think that's the first time I've ever uttered those words in my life, uh, which is very unfortunate because this is a very powerful book. Uh, if you're, you can turn there, you can click to there. If you're going to use the Bible in the pew, it's on page 751. We've been in the middle of a series called Finding Jesus, and we're looking at Old Testament stories that ultimately, when we look at them and we see what God's revealing about himself and to people, ultimately point to the truth of who Jesus is and what he's going to be doing when he came into the world. And so we've been looking at stories about God's uh, faithfulness, about covenant, about God's uh, care for his people, and getting into a really powerful passage today, talking ultimately about the idea of love. Uh, To love and to be loved, this is a basic part of what it means to be human. Many poems, many songs, many stories, many shows, movies have been written to explore the idea of love. Now here's what I want you to think about. This is going to be a crowd participation moment here. I want you to think about a moment in your life when you found a real, genuine connection of love with somebody. It might be a person who is your dearest friend, And just this, I mean, we have friends, but a special, just dear friend that you've shared life with. Or it might be a person that you realize has true affection toward you, and you have that affection toward them. Or maybe it's somebody that it's gone further than that, and you've committed your lives to one another. Think about finding that, or the idea of finding that. What words describe those love connections, and how you feel about them. The idea of finding that love connection, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about that? And I want, I want you to say it. What's the first word that comes to mind? Finding that type of love connection. Say it again. Trust. Trust. What else? Comfort. Comfort. Joy. Joy. What else? Powerful. Powerful. Powerful, trust, joy. What else? Respect. Respect. What else? Patience. Patience. What else? Grace. Say it again. Freedom. Freedom. Excellent. What else? Safety. Safety. Say it again. Valued. Valued. Excellent. I'm sure other words come to mind. Again, whether you've experienced that, you're going to experience that. Joy, trust, safety, freedom, all these different kinds of words. Now I want you to think about having that type of connection, and it's destroyed. You find out your friend is talking critical and negative about you behind your back. You hear that person who shares your affection was flirting with somebody at the office. You discover text between your spouse and somebody else. What words describe the feelings that come when that happens? Betrayal. Betrayal. What else? Fear. Fear. Hate. Hate. Pain. Pain. Maybe hate, too. Say again. Hate, too. too. (laughs) What else? Selfishness. Selfishness. Paralyzing. Paralyzing. Lonely. Lonely. Confusion. Kind of the opposite words, right? Now, here's the last thing. Say this wasn't you, but it was somebody that you know who experienced that. 
So their, their love connection, their relationship with somebody, they experience that type of betrayal. They experience all of the words that we just said or were thinking about it. They tell you, I'm going to keep hanging out with them. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to take them back. I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to do everything to make it work. You know that your friend has experienced everything in that second group of words that we said, the betrayal, the hurt, the pain, the confusion, all those different things. But they tell you they're still going to move toward the person. They're still going to love toward the person. They're going to take them back. What words come to mind when you hear that from your friend? Concerned? What else? Shocked? Stupid? What else? Sadness? What else? Crazy? Anybody like thinking it? Let's just... The reason why I have us go through this little exercise here is that this gets to the heart of Hosea's message. And not even Hosea's message. Hosea's experience. This Old Testament book that we're going to look at today. It says in Hosea 1.1, Where the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, and Jotham, and Ahaz, and Zechariah, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. This is, he's an Old Testament prophet. He's a real guy who really lived in history, who was really part of Israel, who was part of this specific time in history when these kings were reigning. He, he was an Old Testament prophet, somebody who was called by God to speak to the nation, to bring God's word to them, to remind them that they're the people of God and everything that that means. And during that time, though, Israel was a broken nation. They were at odds with one another. But still, God had made a covenant with them. Think about the words that we use with that first column, that first situation, the joy, the love, the connection, all of those different things. God made a covenant with them, called them to be a one-God people, not to worship other gods, to live for him alone, not taking on any of the gods of the culture or anything like that. But Israel continually didn't do that. They continually broke the covenant. They were not only breaking the covenant, but they were intermingling with the cultures of their time. And rather than worshiping God exclusively, they were also worshiping the Canaanite god named Baal. They were worshiping him, saying that they were worshiping God, and mixing things and messing with things, basically betraying the Lord. God is a faithful God but they were an unfaithful people. All of the words that we use for that betrayal is how Israel was acting toward God. And think about how we described, if I have a friend who's going back to a person like that, I'm concerned, it's stupid, it's crazy, everything. But what does God do? He kept coming back to Israel. God had done everything for them, given them the direction, given them land, but they paid him lip service. They were unfaithful. They not only abandoned the covenant, but they lived in opposite of it in many ways. And the message we're going to see in Hosea that ultimately points to Jesus is that God is the loving God and his love never stops. His love never ceases. His love continues even when people betray him, people disobey him, people want nothing to do with him. His love is 
perfect. Eugene Peterson says, Hosea is the prophet of love, but not love as we imagine or fantasize it. He was a parable of God's love for his people, lived out as God revealed and enacted it. And it's his message that we're going to look at, the first couple chapters that we're going to look at this morning. But before we do, I know we've prayed a lot, but I want to pray again and just to ask God to speak to us through his word. God, we do thank you that you are a God of love, that you are love, and that you love us immensely beyond what we can comprehend. But God, even within that, you want us to understand. You want us to experience. You want us to know your love. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to everyone's heart today. You would speak to mine, anyone listening online, watching online. God, that you would penetrate our distractions and our concerns and our doubts and everything else we're carrying with the truth that you are a God who, of love who loves us. I pray that you would let us understand the truth of your word this morning, God, as far as your love for us. Not just understand it in our minds, but that we would know it in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would move in this place, the Spirit, you would speak to all of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, one thing we have to realize is that love is a very complex word that we tend to overuse. There isn't anything wrong with saying that we love something. But do we mean the same thing that we, when we say that we love a movie, or we love our friend, or we love our spouse, or we love this food, or we love our country? Are we actually saying the same thing? Hopefully the answer to that is no. As we look at these first three chapters of Hosea, quickly, we're going to, and this prophetic word that Hosea is giving, we're going to get a pretty striking portrayal of the depth and the amazing reality of God's love. And the first thing we're going to see is this, is that God's love is irrational. God's love is irrational. That might sound negative at first, but I want you to see how positive of a thing it is. It says at the beginning of Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, I think, and she conceived and bore him a son. Other translations would say, go take for yourself a promiscuous wife and have children of promiscuous with her. Desperate times call for desperate measures. How do you break through the stubbornness and the apathy and the disobedience of people who are supposed to be committed to you but aren't listening and aren't getting it through their thick skulls and it's not getting through, how do you get through to them? You send a very striking, expectation-shattering, jarring, powerful message. And this message which God sent to them was a living parable through the life of Hosea and Gomer. He tells the prophet Hosea to take a wife who is promiscuous, who is a prostitute. And not only that, but have children with your wife who won't remain, have children with your wife, your wife who isn't going to be faithful with you. And name them specifically, the kids that you have, name them these names. Your first son, you're going to call Jezreel, which means God scatters. Your daughter, you're going to name No Mercy. Your second son, you're going to name Not My People. I mean, Hosea was using weird names for kids before any of our modern celebrities were doing that. So eat your heart out, Kim and Kanye. Like this, is, this was before their time. Now, we see this and we have this 
Again, this prophet marrying this woman, having children and naming them these things. We need to really clarify, God is not telling all of us to do this. This is not a, okay, everybody go and do this. He's telling this one person to do this for this one reason. That the message he sends through Hosea and Gomer is for everyone. We are all like Gomer. And God is like Hosea. Imagine you have a friend and they tell you that they want to marry someone. And you ask the person, you know, well, I don't know who this person is. What are they like? And your friend says, oh, he is really handsome. He has a good job. He's good at sports. But he is a total player. He is known for sleeping around. He has cheated on every girlfriend he has ever had. He flirts everywhere that he goes. He talks about not wanting to get tied down and has gone on record saying he hates committed, commitment. I cannot wait to marry them. Some of your reactions, I can see it on your faces. You're like, what are you doing? Why, why would you let your... Who, if you had a friend like that, you would say, I mean this in all love. Psh, what are you doing? <laughs> Who would do it? Come on, be honest. Because it doesn't make sense. Why would you love somebody like that? Why would you go towards somebody like that? Why would you give your everything and commit to somebody? It's irrational. And that's the love that God has for us. That's the love that God has for us. Israel was continually unfaithful. In the culture, they were, they were players. They were this religion, that religion, that God, that God. Let's do this. They played the field. They weren't obedient. They didn't be the people they were supposed to be. They did whatever they wanted, regardless of what God called them to do. And they continually disobeyed him, continually did their own things, continually forgot who they were, and forgot the covenant that he made with them. They were just like Gomer. And so if we looked at our friend and go, why would you love somebody like that? We look at Hosea, why would you love like somebody like that? Then God, we could say to God and his, him looking at Israel, why would you love people like that? But it's no different with us. How can he love people like us? It's the same with you and I. We are Gomer and God is like Hosea. It says in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 7, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right, and no one who never sins. 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are like that. Sure, we can do the comparison game. Well, it's, like, it's not like I've done this. It's not like I'm that bad. But we're not comparing ourselves to other people. We're comparing ourselves to a holy God. And the reality is we do our own thing. We go our own way. We write our own story. We figure it out on our own. We call on God when we need him, when there's crisis. But if everything's great, who? We're just like Gomer when it comes to the Lord. And the thing is, is he loves those who will have nothing to do with him. He loves those who will turn on him. He loves those who will hate him. He loves those who will try to use him. The truth of sin is that God shouldn't love us, but the reality of God is that he does love us. He doesn't love us because we deserve it or because we've earned it. He loves us because he chooses 
to love us. You need to know God loves you. And that is not religious cliche. That is not warm, fuzzy line. That is the depth of the truth of who we are and how this world works and God's heart toward you. God loves you. You need to know that. Now, some of you here, you might think, how can he love me? And you are probably closer to the point than anyone else. Because anything that you think of, everyone else is in the same place as you are. You're just at the truth. How can he love me? And he does. If you're in here and you're like, well, how can he not love me? You are greatly missing the point. Because it isn't about anything that we do or anything we haven't done. Because compared to a holy God, we are all Gomer. How can he love us? Because he chooses to do. It is irrational that God would love us. But he does. God loves you. The second, God's love is irrational. The second thing we're going to see in this story is that God's love is gracious and loyal and caring. God's love is gracious and loyal and caring. As we go into chapter 2, we learn a little bit more about Gomer and her life. I'm not going to read the, all of it, but some different chunks of this. In chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her away, away with thorns, and I will build a wall against her that she cannot find her paths. She shall, she shall pursue her lovers and not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. I mean, when we hear about her, relationships seem to be a hobby for her. Fooling around is her main thing. She keeps going back to these men. Faithfulness doesn't seem to be a word in her vocabulary. So what are the repercussions of that? I mean, if this was your spouse, what would you do? Well, it says in verses 9 through 13, Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees of what she said. These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. I will punish her for the feast days of bowels when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. I mean, this is harsh. This is hard. These are repercussions, and they're very difficult. I mean, if you heard that somebody's spouse was cheating on them and they told you that they were getting a divorce, you would think, well, yeah, you better. If they're cheating on you, why would you stay? We hear this and it sounds like Hosea is leaving her and taking everything with him. And we think, well, yeah. But then it goes in a completely different direction. I want you to think of what we've read about Gomer. We want you to think, think about your reaction to that third question I asked you earlier. How would we respond if somebody went back to that person? This is crazy. This is painful. This is stupid. This is confusing. All those different things. And what does God say here? 
In verses 14 to 20, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and as at a time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you shall call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bow. For I will remove the names of the bows from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And then don't miss verses 19 to 20. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I mean, do you hear the words of intimacy, of romance, of love toward this woman? I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will give her hope. I will make her to lie down in safety. Again, verses 19 to 20, I'll betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. That idea of steadfast love mentioned here is a deep, deep idea of love that just our word love cannot really encompass or grasp. It isn't mere affection. The Hebrew word there is hesed. The Bible Project, which is a great resource I highly recommend you check out at some point, it describes hesed as such. It says, hesed is a challenging word to translate because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment. Hesed has been translated into English a number of ways, including mercy, loving kindness, unfailing love, and steadfast love. But ultimately, hesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. This is what God shows to us. This is what Hosea is showing to Gomer. Hesed is the kind of love demonstrated by someone determined to keep a promise and motivated to endure and maintain a covenant through self-giving generosity. It's concrete, action-taking love. It's the difference between saying the words, I love you, and acting in honor of your commitment to another person by serving them. This is the kind of love that God is showing Gomer, that Hosea is showing her, that God shows us. When you hear it, the love demonstrated by someone's determination to keep a promise and motivated to endure, you would think that Hosea was not motivated to endure, that he was not motivated to keep this. But his love is not in himself. His love is in the Lord, and he's operating from a place of the Lord's presence. He is loving as God loves, and he is committed to love this woman. And God is committed to love us. This is the type of love that God wants Hosea to show Gomer, that God is showing Gomer and Israel. It is the type of love that he shows you and I. It's from this type of love that he says, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Remember the kids? God scatters Jezreel. God is bringing her home and giving her a place of safety. Remember the kid, no mercy. I am going to have mercy on you. Not my people. You are my people. God's love 
is transforming this family. God's love for us is immense and deep and complex. This is why Paul says in the New Testament, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God, we cannot fully comprehend his love, but we can grasp it to the extent that he shows us, through, speaks to us through his word, the fact that God loves you, he seeks you, he is gracious toward you, he is committed to you because of who he is and he chooses to be, and nothing because of us. God is gracious to us. He wants us to have hope. He wants us to have life with him. He wants us to experience his love firsthand. And he wants us to know it. Not just up here, but in the depth of who we are. We are loved by God. And that's the love that transforms us. That makes us into the people we were meant to be. God's hested is constant and available to us. And it's from that that we understand the last thing. God's love is irrational, God's love is gracious, loyal, and caring, and God's love pursues. God's love pursues us. It says in chapter 3, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. That's the funniest thing to read in the world. Um, again, we hear God's charge to Hosea and the reality of Gomer's lifestyle. But Israel is singled out. You see the connection between this lived-out parable and Israel? God wants the message to get through to them. Their issue is called out. They're turning to other God, and they have a love for raisin cakes. <laughs> this is not God getting down on breakfast pastries or the introduction of the first no-carb diet. That's not what's happening here. If you had raisin bread this morning, you're good. Don't worry. Um, you're fine. The, the raisin cakes were part of how the false god Baal was worshipped. It was part of that experience. And so that's really fascinating to think of. That they were all about this god and the immediate experience of worshipping him. This false god that defined this pagan culture... They really liked the moment of experiencing Baal. They were all about the experience, but not the life and not the commitment and not longevity and not the people they were becoming. Man, that, is that just an ancient thing or is that a modern problem as well? Where the things our culture offers us in the moment are fun, in the moment seem good, in the moment are great, but they don't give us what they promise to give us. They don't give us security. They don't give us hope. They don't give us peace. They don't give us an eternal hope and an eternal security. I mean, if COVID has shown us anything, the things that we put our trust in can be easily taken away. And where is our hope? That's the reality of the pandemic is our culture's raising cakes were taken away. The experience was gone. And where were we? And so you have to ask yourself, what is your trust in? Is it in the moment, in the small little thing, or in the grandeur of all that God is giving us? I mean, if you've ever, like, if you've ever uh, been around a little kid, I, I mean, I have two kids, and they're 13 and 16 now, and I would say this only happened when they were younger, but it still happens now. 
you take them to a restaurant, take them like huge menu, all these amazing things on the menu, so many options. Can I just have chicken nuggets? What? I'm not downing chicken nuggets, and I'm not equating chicken nuggets with sin here. But man, God is offering us so much more. We have this entire menu of availability of life to us. We keep coming back to this little small thing. It would be like, you know, I'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis, but he's giving you an all-expense-paid trip to Disney World. And you just want to stay in your room and play games on your phone. That's the equivalent of what the raisin cakes are. Our culture offers us seemingly what seems like so much, but is so little. And God offers us more than we can comprehend. And so we have to see that God wants to allure us away from those things and love us into the relationship and the life we were meant to have. Chapter 3, verse 2. So Hosea, I, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, so, I mean, this is a huge sum of money. Scholars differ on what was going on with Gomer that Hosea had to pay for this. At the least, she is greatly indebted to one of her previous lovers. At a worst, she's amongst prostitute slaves who are going to be purchased because of all of their debts. And so I picture Hosea coming in amongst this crowd with different people placing bids and saying, I'm buying her. Or coming up to the, the one who she's indebted to and bondage to because of these debts and saying, I'm paying for this. To remove her from that. To be able to bring her home. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I also, and, I will, and will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come to fear in the Lord, come and fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This relationship is going to be restored. He's purchased her freedom so she can come home. And here's what being at home looks like. This promiscuous stuff is going to stop. We're going to be husband and wife. We're going to worship our God. He offers her this life. He purchases this life and he brings her home and says, this is the life that I have for you. And it's to say he has paid for her debts. He is restoring the relationship. And the parable is continuing to be enacted before Israel. God is continually searching for them, continually pursuing them. He will do whatever is necessary to restore them back to himself. And it's the same with us, with Jesus. We said this before, it's our sin. In our sin, our relationship with God is shattered. But God loves us, and his love, is like, his love for us is like his love for Israel and Hosea's for Gomer. The Bible tells us that God pursues us and he does everything necessary to bring us home back to relationship with him. It says in Romans 5, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
And then in 1 John 4, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. The, the, the penalty of sin is death. We understand consequences and actions. When there's this, a crime, there's a penalty. When this happens, then... When this bad happens, something has to be done in rep recompense. And the, the, the penalty of sin is death. There's a thing that sometimes gets said in the world today. I've seen it multiple times on social media, and it's not a new thing. But there's different people who criticize the reality of God by saying, I can't believe in the idea of this God who would just make, who would have a son just to have child abuse on him so he would die. And it comes across like God is a vindictive, child-abusing parent because of this. Okay, well, then you do the death. If that's how somebody's going to twist it, if that's how someone's going to distort it, that God had just had a son in order to beat him up and physically abuse him, then you die the death. Because that's the reality of what that person is saying and misunderstanding is that death has to happen for sin. There is a consequence for sin. We all deserve that. If somebody doesn't believe that or not, it's irrelevant because that's just how it works. And our belief in it and our rejection of it doesn't change the reality that the penalty of sin is death. We all deserve that. But God in his love for us doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to live, not just live while we have a pulse on this earth, but to live for eternity. But we can't pay the penalty for death because we're sinners and because we're weak. So he went of his own self as the son to go to the cross for us. He went to pay the penalty for our sins. That is not an act of abuse. That is an act of sacrificial love. God's saying, I'm going to go to the cross for you. Anyone who says that doesn't understand the depth of who Jesus is, that he is God. And so God is going to pay the death himself, just in the sense that Hosea paid Gomer's price for her freedom. Jesus, God on foot, pays the death for our place. So we don't have to do that death. He makes, and he, but the beauty of it all is that it doesn't end in his death, but as we're going to celebrate next week, he conquered sin, he conquered death. He rose from the grave. He is alive and he says, I have this life for you. A life that conquers sin, a life that conquers death, a life that isn't bound to this world, but is tied to eternity and is this type of hope and purpose and joy. This is what I have for you. God has pursues us and he does everything necessary for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be restored to God the Father, for us to have a life of peace and hope and purpose and joy. And nothing on this earth can do that. God is the only one that can give that to us. And so you need to receive that. That gift of life is here for you from God. It says in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. God has done everything necessary for us to become into life with him. 
to become back home with him in the same way that Gomer came back home to Hosea. But we have to receive that gift. That's how God has made it. We have to receive that gift from him. You have to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not just somebody I'm aware of, not just somebody I know of. I'm aligning who I am with who he is. I believe in my heart that he, God raised him from the dead. That's why I'm able to have a relationship with God. When that's true about you, then God gives you that new life. He gives you that new identity. He restores you back to him. God is pursuing you. And I pray today you receive that love, that you receive that life that he has for you. God's love for God loves you with a loving, caring, loyal love. And he is pursuing you because he wants that relationship with you. Thank God we don't have to do what Hosea did. Thank God we don't have to do what Jesus did. But it was done for us so that we could receive that love. And I pray today you receive that gift. We're going to close today by doing communion. And so I'm going to ask the ushers if you could begin passing out uh, the elements. If this is your first time ever doing communion with us, just a couple instructions really quick before we do it. They're going to pass around two different trays. One of them will have uh, bread. One of them will have things of juice in it. You can just hold on to those, and then we'll do communion together. In the bread tray, there's a smaller tray. The smaller tray has gluten-free bread in it. Uh, so if that's what you need, go, that's, just know that that's there for you. We always take a moment just of quiet uh, before the Lord to be able to prayerfully meditate on what we've heard in the message. Through God, go ahead and start passing them out through his word, and so we want to give you that space. If you're in here and you have a relationship with Jesus, there's been a point in your life where you've done what Romans 10 says, you've confessed with your mouth, you believe in your heart. This is a time to remember the reality of Jesus' death in our place, the love that God has for us. Maybe you need to confess something, maybe you need to be grateful for something, maybe you want to be quiet before the Lord, but however you use this time with him. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then Communion is not for you because it's something that we do to remember what God has done for us. You need to receive that first. This, you need to take this moment and say, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge I need you. God, please forgive me. I acknowledge your death on the cross was in my place. I acknowledge your resurrection was to conquer sin and death. And because of that, I can have life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Whatever, however you put that in your own words between you and the Lord, you need to use this time of prayer to confess and receive that gift that God has for you. And so whatever this time is between you and the Lord, let me just, while the elements are being passed out, let me pray, and then we'll be quiet before him. So God, I pray you to speak to our hearts. Let us hear from you. God, for people that don't know you, God, let today be the day of salvation. For those who do, may this be a deep sense of remembrance of the love you have for us. Let's be quiet before him.